0: I remember a little while ago, I had that about a year and a half ago, when I first came here as as the lead pastor of this church, where there was this this incredible excitement, because I believed that I had been called to come to be a pastor among you. And, And I had been in a pastoring career for 10 years prior to that, so it wasn't new to me, but this lead role was new, and so there's a sense of excitement over what God is doing, what he's leading us towards, but then as the day got closer to when I stood on this platform for the first time, there's a sobering reality, the weight of the responsibility started to get heavier as the day got closer. Perhaps you feel a bit of that yourselves as we, as we talk about and consider moving towards defining the future vision for West Meadows where we are doing some talking and some dreaming right now, and there's excitement and there is energy in so many small groups to larger groups I find myself in. There's anticipation of what that looks like, but, but there's this day coming where, where the talk is starting to get replaced, even, even in the days right now where the talk is getting replaced with action. And action leads to some adjustments, and adjustments can lead to some sacrifices. And the feeling changes a bit. One of the first and probably the best Memories I have of this, and maybe you can relate to this, is, is when you have the birth of your first child. Now, I, I can relate to this from a father's perspective, where there's that period of, of wanting to, to go from a family of maybe two to, to a family of three. And so you're wanting, and then there's the waiting, and then finally, finally, your wife comes to you and goes, yes, we've, we are pregnant, and there's incredible excitement and energy, and for the next few months, there's this process where where there's, there's anticipation of what is ahead and you buy clothes and you paint the room and you buy all the furniture and you go to baby showers and it's fun and exciting. And then the day comes and your first child is born and you're like, woohoo, I'm a daddy. Right? Until a few days later where you take little Johnny home and you're like, oh man, I'm a daddy. I've never been this way before. I, I, I've, I've never done this. How, how do you dad it up? I, I, I don't know how we do that. Like my golf swing and my stellar fashion sense and my sense of humor just might not be enough to cut it anymore. Like I might expect more of me than just a, a witty comment here and there. Now for Joshua, I, I think he feels the pressure. Now I don't think he's shying away from it, but I, but I think he feels the pressure. He feels the weight of it, because as he looks onto the horizon, he sees the city of Jericho, one of the oldest cities in the world, known for its massive impenetrable walls. Two sets of walls, actually, standing as high as 35 feet tall. And these are the barriers that, in this moment, stand in their way. And so as we consider the story of Joshua and the Israelites and the battle of Jericho... I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to, to Joshua chapter 5. And in a moment here, we're going to start reading at verse 13. Joshua chapter 5, and verse 13 is where we're going to be starting. And as we walk through this battle of Jericho, I really hope that the message that God's prepared in my heart today is, is impactful to many of you who are here. That it'll be meaningful to a situation that you, that you find yourself in the midst of. Because all of us, from one time to another, this is a guaranteed thing that all of us share in common, all of us will face barriers. All of us will face struggles. We will face challenges in our lives. And so before we begin reading this story today, I want to ask you to consider this. Is there something in your life right now that you could define some sort of barrier that these walls of the city of Jericho could be symbolic of? Like, what are the barriers that you're coming up against today? What are the barriers maybe you've been battling against for a few weeks now, for a long time now? What do you know is on the horizon next week or in the months beyond? What are these barriers of your life? These things that perhaps are consuming your energy, that risk to take you off track, that can create fear within ourselves. And if those things happen, you know that it's going to steal the joy and it's going to steal the momentum of what God has set before you. What are those barriers in your lives? They could be personal things. Perhaps there's a family situation. Something happening in, in your school or, or in your lives as you go to school, in your workplaces. They could be situational things. Maybe a, an issue around employment, around finances. There are people among us who have health concerns right now. These types of barriers. Maybe, maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's been a long time that you've been battling against the same temptation. Time and time again. What are the barriers of your life that threaten to prevent you from experiencing all that God has in store for you? I invite you to find that word, to find that phrase, to to define that situation that you could say, yes, that is my barrier, and keep that in mind as we walk through this story today. Because as the story opens, Joshua is facing a big barrier, and its name is Jericho. But he's not defeated by it. He's not defeated by it rather he's focused upon it. And like a good ship's captain, like a good army general, on the eve before battle he inspects his troops, he walks through camp, but then he slips away for a moment to be alone. He slips away for some alone time, which is where we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 5 verse 13. Where it says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he slipped away from camp and he goes off towards the city to get a better look at it. And he's near Jericho and he looks up and he saw a man standing in front of him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. We're on the eve of this impending battle and Joshua encounters a man with his sword drawn on the edge of camp. And so he asks the natural question, are you friend or are you foe? But he doesn't get a straight answer because that's actually not the most important question at this particular moment. You see, this unknown figure identifies himself as the commander of the army of the Lord, a title that designates him as a significant angelic figure. And Joshua knows that God's army is a heavenly army of angels. And so this figure is the one who commands those angels. But Joshua also knows that Israel was considered God's earthly army, so this figure is also in command of what's about to happen on earth. But then, thirdly, Joshua knows that God would only dispatch such an important person for a high purpose. And I think primarily that purpose was to remind Joshua of God's promise from the very beginning. If you were with us in the first week of this series, or if you want to go back and listen to it online, you can recall that in week one, we learned how the book of Joshua opens up with Joshua assuming leadership from Moses. And as he takes over leadership of this important journey ahead of them, God says to him, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Be strong and be courageous. Be strong, meaning stand your ground, be steadfast. There is no retreat. Keep your eye upon that prize that's ahead of you. He says, be courageous. Have bravery. Have determination that you will face whatever comes your way. You will face it without fear. But it's not a strength and a courage that comes from within himself. It's a strength and courage that is found in God who is with him every step of the way. And so in this moment, in Joshua chapter 5 here, in this moment, we see that there's this movement from God giving him words to tell him to be strong and courageous, moving towards vivid action, where right before Joshua stands, the commander of God's army, ready for battle. Did you know God speaks those same words to each of us even before we enter into our battles? However you define that barrier, whatever that battle may be, before we step foot into that battle, God speaks the same words to us when he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Whatever it is you may be up against, whatever it is that you may be facing today or maybe waiting for you tomorrow, however you define that barrier in your life, you can take comfort even in this moment right now that as God was with Moses, as God was with Joshua, God is with you as well, and that you are not alone. And that even before you go into battle, whatever that battle may be, wherever it may take place, remember as we sang just a moment ago that the God of angel armies is always by your side. Think about that for a second. If you're a person who, who can kind of be visual, just even close your eyes for a second and think about that fact for a second. That the God of angel armies is by your side. Can you visualize that for a moment, that reality that that we read about, we talk about, we we sing about. But do we believe those words? And just as we think about it in our minds, uh, that there is one, a commander of the Lord's army with sword drawn, who stands by our side, and behind him are legions of angels. Because the God of angel armies is by our side, is what is promised. And that when we acknowledge his presence, and we engage in the reality of what, is with us in advance of the battle looming ahead of us, then in those moments when we actually can see that and believe it, we can come to start to realize what Paul talks about when he says that there is this peace, this peace of God that transcends all understanding that we can experience. It's a peace that doesn't match the situation we're up against. It's this this peace that doesn't mean we're ignorant or blind or numb to the reality of the magnitude of the situation we're up against. We fully comprehend it. But at the same time, while there are people around us who are at the end of their rope, while there are people around us who maybe are freaking out because of what's coming up, there is this sense that we should be too. And yet, peace. A peace that shouldn't exist yet does. And when you try to find sense to it, the only sense we can come to is the fact that it is from God. Because it has nothing to do with us and nothing to do with our situation. It can only find its peace in God. But Paul qualifies this a little bit. You see, if we look at the verse immediately before it, he reveals to us that the path to experience this peace is through prayer. Now, it's not about just saying words to God about some, some magical incantation that we can say. But see, there's power in prayer because prayer is us acknowledging that we need to look beyond ourselves. It's us acknowledging that there is one who is with us that we can talk to. It's inviting God into the moment to say, this is beyond me. I need to leave this with you, Lord. I need you to walk through this with me. And as a pastor, I I have this privilege to come into people's lives, and I can tell you countless stories of when people have done this, when they've engaged the Lord in prayer, and a peace has descended. And not only has peace descended, but their situations have changed. There are people I've walked with who are facing layoffs, who are facing uncertainty for the future. And before they walk into those meetings, they prayed, earnestly prayed, and peace descended upon them. I know people who have received a knock on the door in the middle of the night to find out that their son had just been assaulted and that he was at the hospital. And as difficult as that situation is, they pray, and this peace descends upon. Not that it takes away the difficulty of the pain in the moment, but a peace that shouldn't exist shows up. I know a story from my my parents told me is that this one time when they were out of town, and while they were out of town, I was in a car accident, and I broke my back in three spots. And and they get the phone call that their son is in the hospital with a broken back. And the people they were with were God-fearing people, and so they stopped in that moment and they prayed. Even while they were miles and miles and hours apart from where I was, they stopped and they prayed before leaving for the hospital, before fearing the worst, they stopped because they knew that God was present, that the commander of angel armies was not limited by that physical distance that was there, that he was with them and that he was with me. And a peace can come into the moment. Do you know who goes before you? Do you know who stands beside you? It is the God of angel armies who is by your side. And for Joshua, at the story we have in here, this angel's presence reminds him that not only was God present with him, but also reminds him that the battle belongs to the Lord. And while Joshua was the earthly leader of this nation, that first and foremost amounted to him not being a leader, but being a follower, that he needed to follow the orders that the commander of God's army was giving to him. He had a critical role to play. If victory was to come about, Josh had to do his part. He couldn't just be a passive participant, step back and go, I've prayed about it and I've left it to you. He had to do his role in the midst of it still. And so he asked the angelic commander, what is God's plan? What does God have for me to do? Which leads us into chapter 6. Where we're first told that the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. You see, the people of Jericho were fearful. And they had received news that the Israelites had reached them. They had received news of their past stories and their past victories. They knew that there was this God who was protecting them. There was this God who, who parts water. That they can walk across the Jordan on dry ground. And this God is leading them to their doorstep. And so they retreat within the walls of their city, which is exactly the reason for which those walls have been built. And so we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2 where we read, that then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its mighty men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, and everyone straight in it. So Joshua, son of Nun, said to the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of them. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Then Joshua when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went ahead, blowing their trumpets on the ark of the Lord. His covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give the war cry. Trumpets are sounding. They're walking complete silence, though, from the army. Do not raise your voices. Do not say even a word until the day I tell you to shout, and then you will shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, and then the army returned to camp, and they spent the night there. What do you think was going through their mind as they returned to camp that night? They think about it. This wasn't their first battle. They They had fought battles before, and they knew, to some extent, ancient warfare tactics. They knew how people typically take a fortified city. See, there's really three ways you can do it. Either you, you tunnel under it, or you pile up heaps of dirt and you go over it, or you just pound a hole through it. But nowhere in history, nowhere in the annals of warfare had anybody ever said, well, you know what you do is you walk around it. That, that had never happened before. Especially Jericho. Considering how impenetrable this walled city was, archaeologists working on this site have found that this is one of the oldest cities in history, and it wasn't a massive, large city. It actually only covered about 10 acres, which is roughly the same size as the property that, that this church is on, about 10 acres of area. But it had two massive walls. The outer wall was six inches thick and 20 inches, or sorry, six feet thick and 20 feet high. The inner wall was 12 feet thick and 35 feet high. And between these walls was a 15 foot wide pathway that was filled with armed guards So even if you got through or over the first wall, they stood there ready to fight you before you even had a chance to get to the 12 foot thick wall. So what is walking gonna do? What is walking around a city going to do? Now we can assume that even as the soldiers of Jericho were watching this going on, they're becoming less and less afraid with each moment. They're thinking to themselves, no, we've seen a lot of tactics. These guys just look confused. These guys don't really know what they're doing. We thought this army knew what they were doing. Maybe there's not much to be feared here after all. You see, Israel faces a choice. This is the choice they face. Will they remain faithful to what they've been told to do? Will they follow the orders that they have been given? Even if other people see it as foolishness. You've been in a situation like that? Where you, you, you have the sense in yourself, you know what's right. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what God wants you to do in a moment. And, but you also know that standing up for God or standing up for what you think is right is going to cost you something. Because those around you are going to say, you are a fool. You found yourself in that situation. Maybe it's at a conversation during a social gathering. Maybe it happens at a lesson in, in a classroom you find yourself in or, or in a conversation or a posting you find on social media. Someone states a position that is contrary or even offensive to a value you hold dearly. Or somebody says something that you just know is wrong and completely against Scripture, and you face that choice. And really, you have three choices. One, you can stay silent. You can adopt the position of, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. I'm going to stay silent. Another option that exists is you can, you can kind of bow to the pressure, the social pressure that's around it, and you can agree with what you hear and what you see. But agreeing with it is the same as aligning with it. And so be careful what you agree with. Or you have the third option, which is to speak up. But you know if you speak up, you risk losing face. And so we have this choice to sometimes look foolish for the sake of following God. And I know in these moments, it's not easy. I face them just as much as everybody else does. And I know for Israel, this couldn't have been easy. Th- these aren't people who suddenly lost their human nature. They, they must have had these thoughts in their mind going, we're going to follow, and we're going to walk, but it doesn't make sense. And yet we'll do it. Because they have been given their marching orders. You know, every day, there are many situations where we face the same choice. We will either go our way or we will go God's way. Which will we follow? Joshua and the Israelites could have chosen to reject God's instructions and think to themselves, well, we know better. We know this isn't how it works. We know better. We'll do it our way. They could have allowed the, the, the taunts of the others to get them off track and think to themselves, I'm not going to endure this. Why would I stand here and be humiliated? They also had the opportunity to allow their pride to, to guide their decisions, and say, I don't have to take this. This is beneath me. We are God's chosen people. Wow, we walk around silently, passively. This is beneath me. You see, from the very beginning, people have had this choice. People have had this ability, this freedom to make their decisions. It begins back with an apple in the Garden of Eden. We see it continuing with Abraham being called to leave his family and his homeland and go to a place not his own. Moses leading the children of Israel through the desert. The Israelites walking around a wall. But God has always said, as we read earlier in the passage, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, this is the beginning of faith. We're trusting that God knows better than we do. Perhaps God can see a bigger picture than we can see. I've often thought of this like when you're doing a puzzle and you buy the puzzle and you think you know what the picture on the box looks like. But imagine if you didn't have the box. All you had were the pieces of the puzzle with no box to follow. And yet you somehow have to put this puzzle together. Now, the whole time you're putting the puzzle together, you're just thinking, I wish somebody would show me what this thing looks like. Now, God not often is not often going to just hand you the box because that means you could just do it on your own. But what he does do is he stands beside you and directs the pieces, directs your steps, because he can see the picture on the box. He knows where it all ends. He knows what all these individual choices lead towards. And here's the great thing about following God in faith, is that when we start walking in faith, God proves to be trustworthy. Time and time again, he proves to be trustworthy. So the more we do it, the easier it actually gets. Because the more we do it, the more we find out that God is trustworthy, it can then become a way of life. And we begin to find ourselves at this point where we think, well, how did I ever manage before without him? Jesus talked about this too. He very simply said this. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands, even if they seem foolish. Even if people around you think they seem foolish, if you love me, you will keep my commands. I was thinking about that This past week, and for whatever reason, some insight into my brain, I had this flashback to the classic movie Karate Kid. Not the 2010 Jaden Smith one, the good one from 1984, right? The good, the original one. But here's what I mean. If you remember that movie, Daniel wants to learn karate from Mr. Miyagi, so he asked Mr. Miyagi to train him to learn karate. And so the day after day, he shows up at Mr. Miyagi's house, and what happens? Paint the fence. Paint the house. And the most famous one, remember, is it? Wax on, wax off, right? So he does this day after day after day. And eventually, Danielson snaps, right? And he has just had it, because day after day, I'm being worked like a slave. This seems foolish. This is just frustrating. I want to learn karate. But then he quickly comes to learn that Mr. Miyagi has had a plan the whole time, and that he's been in training the whole time. You see, he had no idea that his obedience and his faithfulness to the process was actually equipping him to break through the barriers that were ahead of him. Remember that scene? When he has that realization, he goes from, this is ridiculous, this is stupid, to all of a sudden, Ms. Miyagi proves to him that he actually knows how to defend himself. He knows how to stand in the face of battle in those moments. Now, I know it's just a Hollywood movie. I know it's not real life. And I know that you can't win a karate tournament by doing home repairs. It just, it it won't work, okay? So acknowledge that principle. But the principle holds true. And here's the principle. Think about how many of our athletes are at the Olympics right now winning medals. And when they look back, they know that they had to obediently follow the coach's regiment, even when it seemed crazy or foolish. The sacrifices, the, the dieting, the training, the exercise, that had to go into that. Think about people that you may have encountered who, for example, were, were committing themselves to following the words of Jesus to provide food for the hungry and shelter for the homeless. And as they do this, they think to themselves, I will never win, the problem is too big. And physically and emotionally it has drained them, but then they look back and they know that one by one by one, they made a difference. And then there are those of us perhaps who have... For example, adult children who have strayed away from the faith over the years, and yet we continue to walk with them. We continue to pray for them. We continue to hope that the day will come when there is a breakthrough that will happen in their lives. There's one family a few years back who came into contact with me, and they were, they were in a matter of crisis because their young adult son had just come back home. You see, a couple years later or earlier, he had, he had left the house and they had on and off contact with him, but what ended up happening is he got caught up in a drug life. But he wasn't using too much, and he wasn't necessarily selling. See, he had found himself at the point where he was what they call a chef. And for one of the larger drug gangs in town, he was the guy who sat in the house, and he made the drugs. And then he would find people to test them on to make them guinea pigs for seeing what the effects were, and trying to find ways to make them increasingly more powerful. That's what he found himself in the midst of. But he found himself also at the rock bottom where the world collapsed upon him and he came back home needing help. And so mom and dad bring him to my office and I had a chance to counsel him and, and to walk with him for a while. And it was a long journey. It was a hard journey. It was one of those three steps forward, two steps back kind of journey as he, he kept slipping into dangerous lifestyles time and time again. And those people around him, so many people, even people in the church, were just writing him off. Struggle's too big. The barrier's too much. He's never going to get it Right? But mom and dad kept encouraging him. Mom and dad kept praying for him. Now these slip-ups eventually left to a point where I, I lost touch with them. I hear little stories here and there along the way, but lost touch with them until this past week. This past week, as I was sitting in Pastor Luke's office, and I get a message on my phone from his mom who is just over the moon because they never stopped praying for him. They never stopped walking that faith of obedience for him. And she sends me a message saying he has given his life to Christ and he's being baptized on February 25th here in Edmonton. The barriers were broken through because of this long-suffering perseverance. That's the principle. Is that even when it seems like foolishness to continue to walk the path we walk. Because God knows the picture at the end. God knows where it all leads towards. Typically, these breakthroughs don't happen overnight. For Israel, they didn't. Israel got up, followed the commands, they walked around the wall, they went back to camp. And they did that for another six days. They kept walking, all the while, likely incurring taunts having these doubts go through their minds. Where is this all heading towards? I wonder how this is ever going to work out. But each day, they got up, and they walked, they returned to camp. They got up, they walked, they returned to camp for six days. In the past, I've shared with you about an incredible book on being a follower of Jesus Christ, written by Eugene Peterson, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a fantastic book, but also a fantastic phrase to keep in our minds, a long obedience in the same direction. Because more often than not, if I look at my life, and I know if you look at your own life, that's not how we would define it. We'd be more in line with like the church of Galatia that Paul wrote to, where he, he opens his letter by greeting them and, and saying how fantastic it is that they, that they had accepted the faith, that they had accepted the truth of who Jesus Christ was and what he had done for them, but then they quickly abandoned the truth You see, when Paul was with them, they were strong in faith. When he was there with them, they were walking in obedience and they were seeing the fruit of God in their lives. But then the pressures and the philosophies of the world, the pressures and the philosophies of other people had seeped in and gotten them off track until they had a brief obedience in the same direction. Now, as the Israelites were about to discover, walking faithfully with God would prove to be the key to tearing down these barriers that are keeping them from experiencing what God had in store for them. So let's keep reading in our story. Joshua 6, we pick it up in verse 15. On the seventh day, they walked around long walk of obedience for six days, enduring all the taunts of the people. And then on verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they encircled the city seven times. The seventh time around, the priest shouted, sounded the trumpet blast and Joshua commanded the army shout for the Lord has given you the city the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them we're going to talk about that next week otherwise you'll make the camp of Israel liable for the destruction and bring trouble upon it All the silver and the gold and all the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. When the walls come tumbling down, they probably had two thoughts in their mind. Number one, how'd that happen? All we did was walk around this wall. We blew some trumpets, and these walls come crashing down. But I think the second thought just was right on its tail as that went through the mind. And the second thought was Is there nothing God cannot do? He provided for us in the wilderness for all these years. He's brought us faithfully and safely this far. In just the past couple of days, He dried up the Jordan so we could walk across on dry land, and now walls are falling before us. You see, that's the point, is that when people walk faithfully, the outcomes exceed the expectations. You see, our faithfulness opens us up to the supernatural power that was there with us all along. Example, the case in point obediently walking around walls of an impenetrable city and the walls fall to the ground. Case in point. See, in these events, there's a relationship on display. A relationship between the grace of God and the faithfulness of his people. See, the book of Hebrews, in in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that by faith, it is by faith that the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. In the past, people hadn't been faithful. The pastor nation had not been faithful. But this time, they believed. This time, they placed their trust in the Lord. And this time, he was able to follow through to the next step they had never been to before. He followed through on his word. He kept his promises. Rahab and all of her family were saved because they hid the spies. And the walls of the seemingly impenetrable city came crashing down, allowing the army to move forward. You see, these walls were the big barrier to moving into this region. Because if you were going to settle this land, you had to pass through Jericho. There was no other option about it. Jericho was the capital city of Canaan. It was built on the very edge of a long mountain range in a narrow pass between the mountains and the river. There was no going around Jericho. You had to go through Jericho if you wanted to go beyond that part of the land. But in addition to that, Jericho was the keepers of a massive primary water spring for the area. And that water provided life for water to drink, for people, for animals, for irrigation, for your crops. If you wanted to survive on the land, you had to have Jericho because they controlled the water for this area. There was no going around it. There was no avoiding it. You had to go through Jericho. How many nations prior have been defeated trying to scale those walls? How many nations had never ventured into it because of the size and the fear of those walls? For those people inside the city, the walls were a source of security. It gave them a sense of peace. For those outside the walls, it was an impossible barrier to overcome. It caused fear and doubt to come up in their minds and in their hearts. But for God, the walls were never a problem. Do you ever think about that? The walls were never a problem for God. Barriers actually never are. Think about that for a second. Think about the barriers maybe you're facing in your life. Do you believe that that wall is too tall or too thick for God to get beyond. Now, some people may say yes. And I think that yes comes from the fact that maybe you have beaten against that wall for so long with no victory that you've come to the conclusion that it's not possible to get through. But I would ask you a follow-up question. Is that more about you or about God? I think a lot of us would agree that no, our barriers are not too big for God to get through. They're not too big for Him to get through. And I can tell you that while they may feel like Mount Everest to us, to God they are no more than an anthill that is easily disposed of. You see, because for God, the walls are not the problem. What do you think the problem is? The walls and the barriers are not the problem. Quite often, His people are the challenge. People who try on their own power, on their own might, and in their own wisdom, who stubbornly dig in and won't try something different or try something new. And the whole time, as they beat against the wall, God stands with His guiding hand outstretched, just ready to be taken. As we read in Proverbs 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. You know, when I look back on seasons of my life when I've chosen my own path, I wouldn't define it as very straight. I don't tend to make straight paths when I plot the course myself. Typically, it's a meandering, wandering path, because my human nature kicks in. It's like, oh, barrier, oh, speed bump, oh, stumble, divert around it, try and find another way, try to find a detour to go through it. It's not a very straight path because I'm in charge. But this verse tells us that if we will trust in God and if we will faithfully follow him with our whole heart, that's the level of commitment that's required here. It's our whole heart. It's not like you can have this part of the leg, God, and I'll take the rest of the journey. When we commit to following his way from start to finish, that he will make our path straight. And a straight path is the fastest, most direct path, but also when a straight path encounters an obstacle it doesn't go around it, he will either tear that down and eliminate it from your life and provide you the freedom you need to move beyond it, or he will help you to walk through that wall. He will help you to walk through that barrier, to not go around it, to not be fooled by it, to not be diverted by it, but to walk through it. At times he will remove the barriers, at other times, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians in his own life, when he had a thorn in the flesh, when he had a barrier he thought would keep him from the fullness of God and ask God to remove it, what was God's answer? No, I will not remove that barrier. You need that barrier because it's that barrier that causes you to draw closer to me. He says you need that barrier because when you experience it, when you accept it, when you need to blast through it, you learn that it is my grace that is sufficient for you. Because it is when you tap into my power, you learn that your strength is weak unless it is found in me. Paul was taught that barriers are there to remind him that on his own, he will struggle. On his own, he'll have a meandering, wandering path. But in God's strength, it can be straight as an arrow. And he can blast through them or walk through them with God by his side. Either way, either way, they are no longer impenetrable walls that stand in front and prevent him from realizing God's wonderful plan for his life. Whether he moves them or walks through them with you, they cease to prevent us from experiencing God's plan for our lives. So as we move to close, I want to remind you of this. That the Lord's triumph at Jericho was a testimony to the world that he is the one true living God, whose claim is absolute over all people, over all places, over all situations. And he lays a path for the Israelites to walk, the straight path for them to walk. He lays a straight path for us to walk. But he also laid a straight path for his son Jesus Christ to walk. And Jesus Christ, who walked that path and triumphed over sin, triumphed over death, and also sent a testimony to the world that he is the one true and living God, whose claim is absolute. Jesus came and gave his life to pay the price for our sins, to open up that way for us to come and to be in relationship with God. So that when we choose to receive this gift of forgiveness that he paid the price for upon the cross, when we choose to accept the love that he has shown to us, we become children of God, we get brought into the family of God. But in addition to that, the protective walls we may have built ourselves, those protective walls we may have erected around ourselves to hide parts of ourselves from the world or from him even, those come crashing down. Allowing God to cleanse us from everything that may keep us from experiencing the goodness and the truth and the wonderful plan he has for each of our lives. Those things that keep us enslaved to sin and prevent us from having that freedom that is bought and given to us by Jesus Christ. Our hope, our freedom, our joy is found in him. And when we find that, when those walls come down and we can allow him to come in to cleanse us from the inside out, to be completely made free and pure, we also start to have a passion A passion in our lives to live them for the Lord so that we can walk those straight paths. Jesus had a path to walk. He set the example for us. He obediently followed that straight path the Father had set out for him. And when potential barriers or struggles came to him, he didn't walk around them, he went into them head on. When he was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, he stayed true to the word of God, barriers removed when he was facing religious leaders and those who were coming against him asking him questions and taunting him and trying to trip him up he continued on the straight path staying true to what the father had told him and near the end of his time when he found himself in the garden wrestling with what the hours ahead held for him saying father remove this cup but not my will but yours we know that barrier wasn't removed because it couldn't be Imagine if the barrier of the cross was removed. How different would our story be? Some barriers can't be removed. Some barriers we need to say, not my will, but yours. Lord, move it or move me so I can get through it. Jesus set the example for us. So as you consider the barriers that are ahead of you in your life, in the days ahead, remember, you're not alone. Jesus Christ has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And that the God of angel armies is right by your side. And he's already walked the path. He's walked through the barriers to the cross that brought our freedom. The walls you're facing may seem insurmountable, but to God, they are no problem. He may choose to remove them, or he may choose to walk through them with you. But either way, they no longer need to be barriers that prevent you from experiencing all that God has in store for you because you can break through those with his help. What's our role? Our role is to walk faithfully with our God. Our role is to walk faithfully with the Lord. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to stand as we move to our time of closing prayer. I invite you to stand and and just with your heads bowed just to to reflect upon this for a moment. I want to pray for you First, I wanna pray for anybody here who, perhaps you've been, you've been bashing against a barrier for a long time now, however you define that. I wanna pray for God's encouragement over you to continue to walk the walk that he set before you. If you're here today and you've been experiencing, maybe it's a temptation or a situation that has not been ending and you wonder, God, what does the picture on the box look like? And energy is starting to fade would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? I want to pray encouragement for you today. Pray God's strength and empowering over you today. Maybe there are those here who admit that, you know, I, I, I can't blame anybody but myself because I've been trying it my way and my will and my power and, and really the problem is that I just need to submit to God's will even if it seems foolish. If you find yourself in that camp, maybe the same people, if you find yourself in that camp, would you just slip your hand? I want to pray for you as well that we need to go God's way. We need to walk with him in faith. We'll experience the joy that's before us. You know, and there may be other people here today who have just never, who have never torn down those walls of sin in their hearts. There's been a distance between them and God, and today is the day when you say, yes, Jesus, I accept your gift of love and forgiveness upon the cross. I need those walls torn down that I can have the scales fall off my eyes, that I can understand for the first time what that freedom feels like, that that passion of Christ would well up in my heart that I could walk with you. If you have never made that first profession of faith in Christ, that, that you need Him to walk with you to help you to remove those obstacles, to break through those obstacles, to give you freedom from your sin and to walk that straight path eternally, would you be bold enough to put your hand up that I could pray for you today? in our service, there'll be people at the front here to pray with you if you want to come and continue in this attitude of prayer. But for right now, I just want to pray for all of those who have put their hands up, maybe those in their hearts who know that this is where they're at. And then we'll close with a response. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for loving us enough to send Jesus Christ who not only is our model of what it means to obediently fall, even in the face of foolishness, Is the one who made it possible that we can follow. God, for those who are here today who are taking that first step of faith, who have not in the past received Christ, but today are making that profession of faith that He is my God and I am His son or daughter. If that is you, do you just pray with me? Jesus, thank you for paying for my sins upon the cross. I acknowledge that without you, I'm helpless to defeat these sins, to break through these barriers. But through your loving sacrifice, I accept that freedom. I accept you as the Savior of my life. And I wish to make you the Lord of my life as I follow you in these days ahead. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for new life. I give you mine today for those here who are coming up against barriers in these days ahead, Lord, I just pray for encouragement, that a renewal a refreshment of their souls would descend, that that in the midst of difficulty, that peace that you've promised, when we will cry out to you, when we will invite you into the moments, God, I pray for encouragement, for peace, for energy, for perseverance for the days ahead, to keep up the fight, to keep up the battle, to know Lord, that even though we may not know what this is heading towards, we don't know what the picture on the box looks like, you are the creator and the master of it all and there is no one else and nowhere else we can or should turn. And so, Lord, for those also who have perhaps trusted in themselves too much, God, I confess that for myself at times when I trust in myself too much, may you be the one who guides our steps. May we relinquish the leadership and turn into followers first and foremost that we may be leaders in the places you've called us to. Whether that be in our homes or our offices or our schools that you would guide our steps, that you would inform our minds and our decisions, that we would stand for you even in the face of foolishness, Lord. We would walk with you and that you would tear down whatever barriers are in front of us as individuals, whatever barriers in front of us as a church. Use us powerfully, Lord, for the furtherance of your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to be your son and our Savior. Amen.